Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, many of you know who Winston Churchill was. Winston Churchill, uh, by you know, historian accounts, uh, was really one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century. Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England uh, during World War II, and then also from 1951 to 1955. And, and you know, there's all kinds of leadership books written about Winston Churchill and, and just the way he led England uh, to, to hold off the Nazis and, and just all the many things he did. Uh, but he was known, though, as being a man that was very, very hard to work for. Uh, he was known as being rude, uh, really just kind of belittling people at times, and just uh, somebody that was just hard to be around. And there was one day, one of the, the, the young ladies that worked for him as a secretary, uh, he kind of, you know, uh, said some rude things to her because she messed up something, and she finally had enough of it. And she said, listen, uh, Mr. Churchill, that was rude what you said, and you shouldn't have said it. You were very rude to me. And Churchill looked at her and he said, yes, I was, but you have to understand, I am a great man. And if you think about the way the world defines greatness, it's a different definition than the one Jesus would give us. So Jesus is going to define, here's what makes you great, and the world's going to say, here's what makes you great. Now, what you have to do is decide which definition are you going to go with. What are you going to line yourself up to? You're going to line yourself up to Jesus, or are you going to line yourself up to the world? And so in Mark chapter 10, what's just kind of been happening in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus has been giving us really definitions of what it means to follow him. So he says, hey, you want to be one of my disciples? You want to be a Christian? You want to follow me? Here's what it looks like. And he's just been laying that out for us. This morning, he's going to show you this principle that Christians serve others. Followers of Jesus serve others. That's the definition of greatness. It's not being served, but it's serving. And so as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus serve others. And so today you might say, okay, hey, I, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a disciple. I, I want to be a Christian. I, I, I want to do that. Well, you've got to first do a couple of things. Number one, you've got to count the cost of what it means to follow Christ. So Christ is saying, hey, you want to come after me? That's, that's great. I, I want you to be a follower, but you need to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. So when you pick up in verse 32 in chapter 10, if you've got a Bible you've turned on or open, it's going to be on the screen as well. It says they're, they're on the road. So the disciples are on the road. They're, they're going up to Jerusalem it's about to be the Passover time in which they're, they're coming to celebrate in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is walking ahead of them. Verse 32 says they were amazed and they were afraid. And, and, and the 12, uh, he began talking to them again. I want you to notice what he says in verses 33 and 34. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. 
deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and in three days he will rise. Now, this is the third time Jesus has told them that's going to happen. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, he says, here's the plan. But you notice in verse 32 that it says two things about him. They were afraid and they were amazed. I think number one, they're amazed at, at, the, at the will of Jesus. They're amazed at his resolution. They're amazed that there's nothing that's going to bend him away from this mission. They're amazed that his eyes are set toward Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen and nothing's taking him off course. But secondly, they're afraid. What do they got to be afraid of? I mean, they're, they're with Jesus, right? I mean, there, there shouldn't be anything that they're, they're scared of. Well, I, I think they're afraid of a couple of things. First, they're afraid of what he's saying. I mean, they're thinking this guy's our political hope. He's our political Messiah. He's going to get the Romans out. But here he is talking about dying. They're also afraid of this. The Pharisees at this point are starting to circulate a plan that they want Jesus dead. They've been talking and rumors are going. They've been posting on Facebook, making TikTok videos, tweeting things out, saying, look, we want this guy gone. It even has gotten to the point, John chapter 12 will tell you, that they even wanted to kill Lazarus off because when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, people are coming to Christ and getting saved because of Lazarus' testimony. So they know those rumors are circulating, but then they're also probably in the back of their mind going, wait a minute, if we show up to Jerusalem and this Jesus is our political Messiah and there's a revolt that happens, and that revolt doesn't go well, and the coup doesn't go well, and it doesn't get the Romans out, we've seen what the Romans can do with their armies. So, so we, we might be dying ourselves here if this whole plan of Jesus doesn't go right. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. He's saying, that's not my plan for any of that. I'm not there to run Romans out. I'm there to offer salvation to people. I'm there to come to be their savior, just like anybody that wants to follow me. you got to count the cost, though, because Christ says, look, I'm about to suffer. And, and the way Mark flows this chapter together is really amazing to me, because if you've got a Bible open, just go up to verse 17 and, and verse 31. You can scan it with me. If you don't have a Bible, I'm just going to summarize it for you, is right before Jesus said that, there's a guy that walks up to Jesus. And it, the Bible tells us he's a rich guy. He's a young, rich guy. He's got a lot of authority. He's got a lot of power. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, look, I want to have eternal life. I want to have forgiveness of sin. When I die, I want to go to heaven. How do I do that? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. You know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And the guy goes, hey, look, I got it. All right, I, I've been doing that all since I'm my childhood. I, you know, I, all right, if, if that's the thing, I'm going to earn my way in. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. You need to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, now let, let's just stop right there and understand this that Jesus has the right and the authority to look at any of our lives and, and say that. I mean, Jesus has that authority to come to you, come to me and say, hey, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. And so he tells this guy, look, you got to sell everything, give it to the poor. And Jesus went that direction with him because he knew, just like the Bible said, 
the man counted the cost. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. And so I'm not going to follow you. The Bible said that because he had many possessions, he loved those possessions more than he loved Jesus, he walked away from him. He counted the cost and said it's not worthy. Look, you want to follow Christ. You want to be a disciple. You want to be saved. You want to be a Christian. You got to first count the cost. You got to be willing to lay down everything you have at the command of Jesus because he has the right and the authority to do that. You know, there's a, a missionary back in the 1950s named Jim Elliott. He's famous for this quote that I absolutely love. He said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. So you want to follow Christ, greatness in following Jesus, serving others, got to count the cost of following in Christ. But secondly, this morning, you want to follow him, you need to consider the challenges. You need to consider the challenges of following Christ, because this isn't easy. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. There's challenges to this. And when Jesus says, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. You would think it's beginning to stick with the 12, because this is the third time he said it. But every time he says it, I, I don't know about you. If Maybe this wasn't you, but I'm sure it was your kids, right? When you told them stuff, it went in this ear, and what happened? It went right out of this ear, right? It, it just like it didn't stick in between those two ears for some odd reason. And, and you, you may know somebody like that. You lean in, you look this, this ear, and you see light coming out of this ear. That's the 12 at this point. You know why? Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. Peter immediately goes, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. We're going to prevent you from doing that. Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. You know what happens next in the 12? A fight breaks out among them right away about who's the greatest among them. Right here, notice what's going to happen. They're still not clued in to what's going on because it says in verse 35 that James and John, sons of Zebedee, so James and John are brothers, they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we got a question to ask you. And, and what we're going to say here, Jesus, is we, we, we want you to grant our request. Now, Matthew, in this uh, account, Matthew's account says it's the mom of James and John who does the asking, all right? So Mark gets his info from Peter. Peter leaves out it's the mom, but I think Matthew throws James and John under the bus, and they're like, James and John really didn't have the courage to do it. They sent mama to do it, right? And so here they are. They're right before Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, we got a question to ask you. When you come into your kingdom, one of us wants to sit on your right hand. One of us wants to sit on your left hand. And what that meant is, Jesus, when you come into power, we want to be second in charge and third in charge. We want to be the elite among the elites. Jesus, we want to be important people. Jesus, we want to have all the power and authority. And here's the challenge that you need to understand about following Jesus is that with following Jesus, there's oftentimes suffering that's brought into our lives because we follow him. Christ looks at James and John, and I think he does this lovingly. I think he does this with grace. And he says, boys, you don't know what you're asking. Because look at what he says in verse 38. He says, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? 
be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized with? And, and, and that cup and baptism, those are powerful Old Testament metaphors. And those parallel each other. See, in the Old Testament, the cup is saying when the cup is poured out, it's the cup of God's wrath is poured out. So the cup would store up God's wrath. So if the cup of, of God's wrath poured out, then God's wrath's being poured out on somebody. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm about to drink the cup of God's wrath. When they put me on a cross, all of humanity's sin is coming on me, and that means God's wrath is coming on me towards sin because I'm taking your sin on me. Then he says, and then I'm going to be baptized. Be baptized means to be immersed. So he's giving you the, the, the parallel of the imagery of saying, I'm going to be put under. I'm immersed in God's wrath. I'm immersed into death. I'm being put under that. That's what I'm about to do. I'm going to drink God's wrath for you. I'm going to be immersed in his wrath. I'm going to be immersed in his death. And here's the challenge you and I have got to consider. That following Jesus oftentimes brings suffering, that we share in that suffering with him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. The Apostle Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So notice what they're doing, because we do it just the same as they do. They want the glory without the cross. They, they, they want all the benefits without following Jesus. They want new life without first dying to themselves. They want the power of the resurrection without death. And that's what Christ has already told us Mark chapter 8. Listen, you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross follow me. The old you has to die in order for me to help you be born again, and now there's new you. So there's no power of resurrection in our life without first dying to ourselves and giving our lives over to Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He says, guys, that's what it's about. Are you able to do that? <laughs> now, I love their response in verse 39. They go, yep, we can do it. <laughs> sure, we got it, Jesus. I mean, they, they hadn't processed this yet. They just blurt out, yeah, all right, we, we could do this. We're, we're able, right? We, and Jesus said, look, the cup I drink, verse 39, you'll drink baptism, which I'm baptized with. You'll be baptized, but to sit at my right, my left, that's not for mine to grant. It's for those who've been prepared. Then the other 10, verse 41 says, got mad. And I mean, you're... you're Translation may even use the term indignant, right? I mean, they are, they are just ticked off at James and John. James and John, what are you doing? Why are you going up to Jesus with this? You know why they're mad? Because I guarantee the other 10 of them are thinking the exact same thing. James and John just beat them to the punch, right? And isn't it sometimes that we get mad at somebody else's sin? Because we've already been thinking about doing it. They just did it. I mean, it's just things we've thought about doing. They're just doing it, and then we get mad at them for doing it. And so they're mad. They're mad at James and John. Because that presents the second challenge that you and I need to consider before we follow Christ. 
Because Jesus is about to redefine greatness here. Because when he hears what James and John have said, and he says, look, guys, you, you, you know, to grant sitting in my right and my left, that's not for me to decide that. That's God the Father that's going to decide that. You know, the other ten are, are, are mad and upset. Here's the second challenge. That being a, a great person means serving others. Because that's what followers of Jesus do. We, we serve others. Because Christ, in verse 42, redefines greatness as we know it. Says Jesus called them to him. So he says, guys, come here. We, we got to have another side meeting here off to the side with you 12. And he says in verse 20, 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you, verse 43 says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all or servant of all, if your translation says it this way. So Jesus says, look, the Gentiles, and that would represent non-Christians, all right? So he's saying, hey, the, the pagans, hear how they just de define greatness. The world defines greatness by cars you drive, how many houses you own, how big your house is, what your 401k looks like, you know, how many people work for you, titles you have by the end of your name. The world's going to look at all those things, degrees on your wall, all that. They're going to say, that's greatness. Jesus just right here said, no, greatness is serving others. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you want to follow me, you want to be a Christian, you want to be a disciple, you want to be a follower, you serve others because that's what it's about. Followers of Christ serve others. We don't lord our abilities and influence over people. We serve people. But isn't that the challenge? Because you know what? That doesn't come natural to any of us. What comes natural to us? Well, you serve me. I, yeah, I mean, we, we set up all a life around us, our thoughts, our wants, our desires. I don't know if your parents ever said this to you. Um, my parents, I have an older sister, and, and so I can remember mom and dad saying this to my sister. I don't, I don't know if they said it a whole lot to me. Uh, I tend to black out things that I do wrong, right? I mean, but I remember my sister used to do this all the time. And I can remember my dad, say this to my older sister, she's about four years older than me, and, and you guys know me enough by now, you know I can be a little snarky at times, and I can cut a joke in situations that probably is inappropriate for a joke to be said. But, you know, my, my dad's getting mad at my sister, and he would look at her, and he would say, do you think the whole world, what, revolves around you? And there I am standing in the corner, and every once in a while I'd go, yeah, Dad, she does. She does. She, she exactly does right now. You know, and then guess who got in trouble for that one? <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to point out I was on dad's side. And yes, yeah, right there. She thought the whole world revolved around her. And, that, and that's what we do. That's who we are. That's the nature of sin that we have within us, that we think everybody ought to serve us. That's the challenge. This doesn't come natural. Jesus says, though, something has to happen in order for you to have a transformed way of thinking, in order for you to have a transformed way of life, in order for you to be a servant. You know, there's a movie a long time ago, came out, in, you know, 2002, so I'm going to ruin it for you, all right? And if you haven't seen it, 
by this point, you're not going to see it, all right? And now if you go watch it, you're going to know what it's about. But there is a movie in 20, uh, 2002 by Jackie Chan. It's called The Tuxedo. Now, I'm not going to ask you for how many people have seen that because probably you know, none of you really have seen it anyway. But in this movie, Jackie Chan is a taxi cab driver. And, it, you know, he's just an you know, ordinary taxi cab driver. He's you know, doing his route one day. This secret agent gets in his cab, his secret agent named Clark Devlin. And Clark Devlin has this tuxedo coat with him. And Clark gets into the cab, and there's some bad guys after Clark because they want the tuxedo coat. Now, you're thinking, man, it's a tuxedo coat. Just run down to Brooks Brothers and get another one, right? No, 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 no. This tuxedo coat had some powers to it. And so the bad guys catch up to the cab, and there's a gunfight, and, and they mortally wound Clark. And right before Clark dies, he gives the tuxedo over to Jackie Chan, and he says this. He said, when you put on this coat, you'll share in my glory. You put on this coat, you wear my coat, you'll share in my glory. And Jackie Chan found out when he put on Clark's coat, he was able to walk on walls, he was able to do big backflips, and he was over to overtake the bad guys, not because of his power, but because he wore the coat of another. Now stay with me on this. That's what Jesus says in your life and my life. You want to overcome sin? You want to learn to be a servant? You want to have a transformed way of thinking? You want to get rid of the anger issues? You want to get rid, you know, have new life? You want to learn how to talk and walk like I want you to walk and talk life? You need to wear a coat of another. And when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. And now because we wear his righteousness, we can overcome sin. We can overcome Satan. We can overcome death. We get to share in the glory of Jesus, not because of us, but because now as Christians, we wear the coat of another by the name of Jesus. And Jesus in verse 45 gives you an amazing promise. In verse 45 of Mark 10, it, it summarizes all of Mark's gospel. I mean, it's the key verse. And Jesus in verse 45 says, listen, the Son of Man, that's me, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, that, that term ransom, it means to make a payment. And applied here in biblical times, it was you made a ransom payment to buy someone out of debt, to buy someone out of slavery. You know, so you're going to make a payment on someone's behalf to free them out of slavery, to free them out of debt. And Jesus said, so listen, guys, if you want to argue about greatness, that's me. I win the argument all day long. But I didn't come for everybody to serve me. I came to serve everybody. And here's how I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give my life as a ransom. I'm going to make a payment for your salvation. The sin debt that you owe God I'm going to pay on your behalf. Now, what did Jesus do to pay that sin debt? What did he pay it with? Well, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What was your salvation brought with? One bought with silver or gold. One bought with money. Your salvation was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the payment of your salvation, it wasn't paid to Satan. It was paid from God the Son to God the Father. Because God's righteousness demanded a payment for your sin. God's love provided that payment. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Followers of Jesus serve others. You know, in 1999, uh, Flight 1420 crashed in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, on the plane that day were 145 passengers. 25 of those passengers were from Wachita Baptist University uh, in Arkansas. And they were returning from Germany. They'd been on kind of a European tour as a choir and as a band. Now, when the plane crashed, it split miraculously in, into two pieces, and it allowed a lot of people to get off and get to safety before a, a major fire engulfed the plane. Sadly, though, out of the 145, and tragically, nine people were killed. There was a young man who died in that plane crash by the name of James Harrison. He was 22 years old. He was a saxophone player in the, in the school band. And, 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 but, but eyewitness accounts said this about James. When the plane went down, James Harrison, he was sitting about in the middle of the plane where it split. He started helping people to safety. He would often step aside in the aisleway and let somebody else go, making sure that they found their way out of the plane. One of the eyewitness accounts said he even went and unbuckled a person's seatbelt who was badly injured and helped lift him up to hand him off to somebody else who handed that person off to get him off the plane. Well, when the fire engulfed the plane and the search party and, uh, you know, in the ground started and people started finding out who was here and who was missing, a lot of the friends just expected James to get off the plane. But sadly, the smoke and fire overcame James. In an article later written about the events, one of James's friends said this, he was always known for helping others. He gave up his life so that others might live. You know, Jesus served, we serve. Jesus gave, we give. But Jesus is more than an example to follow. Jesus is a savior to worship. He's a person to bow your knee to and say, Jesus, I need you to take all my sin from me. And when you take all my sin from me, I'm going to follow you with all that I have because you're the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus is the only one to be able to take all that sin away from you. Jesus is the only one to be able to bring you to God the Father now and take you to heaven when you die to be with him for all of eternity. And the Bible says, how do you start a relationship with Christ? How, how do you start following Jesus in your life and say, hey, I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow him. Well, first you count that cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. That means you're giving him everything of you. You know there's challenges ahead. There's going to be suffering at times. There's going to be service that you have to do. But I'm going to tell you what, it's all worth it to be able to follow him. And so how do you start that relationship? Well, Acts 2 verse 21 simply says this, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
Doesn't matter if you've ever been in church in any day of your life. Doesn't matter if it's the first time you've heard about Jesus. When you call out his name, you're not put to shame. That's a prayer request God's always going to answer. And that's the way you have forgiveness of your sin. So I want to just ask you right where you are. Will you bow in prayer with me this morning? Hey, this morning, this is we pray together. I'm going to, you know, just prompt you in a couple of ways to pray. But I want to encourage you to pray with whatever's on your heart and mind that, that the Lord may have laid upon you. And, and just right now where you are, just simply ask maybe as a, as a Christian, God, is there something in my life as a, as a Christian that's, that's blocking me from serving others? Is there something in me, God, that needs to change in order to keep following Jesus faithfully? I want to encourage you to pray about that. Maybe today you, you are saying, hey, you know what? I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I, I want to follow him. I want to have my sin forgiven and have eternal life with God in heaven forever. And, and yeah, I, I know that times aren't always going to be easy, but I know there's going to be a Jesus that's going to always be there with me. Maybe today, if you're ready to make that decision, you can simply make that right where you are. If you're at home worshiping with us online, you're right here in this worship center. Bible says you call out to the Lord. Calling out the Lord means prayer. And you can follow along with me and just simply say, Dear God, I know I need forgiveness of my sin. And today I'm ready to follow Jesus. I've counted the cost. I know it's going to be hard at times. But God, I know it's going to be worth it. And so I, I give Jesus my life today. I believe he's the Lord and Savior of my life. Father, I want to thank you today for the way you work in our lives. Lord, I want to thank you today for sending Jesus to serve us. It's only because of his death, his burial, his resurrection that we have life, that we have hope, that we have a tomorrow in which we can rejoice in in heaven. And Father, I, I pray today that uh, no matter who, who that person was at home or in this worship center that prayed to know Christ, that, that today they would find that life and joy in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, I pray for us as believers in Christ, who many of us have been walking with Christ faithfully for so many years. Lord, I pray for that person to keep walking faithfully with you. Continue to be that servant that you call us to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.